With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, uh, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon. Our first guest today is Craig Holman, government affairs lobbyist for Public Citizen. Then in the second half hour, uh, Edwith Theogene, advocacy director of Generation Progress and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi join me for the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, we are going to start the show with a clip, and the clip is from Stacey Abrams, uh, voting rights activist uh, and former and to be Georgia uh, gubernatorial candidate, uh, who uh, talks about uh, the filibuster rule. I want to start with the issue of HR one. The House has passed this bill. Um, the reality is, it's it's not going to overcome the Senate filibuster. So I guess my uh, question for you is: Do you think it's that Democrats should pare down H.R. 1, focus it on voter, all things voting rights and voter access? Or is it the focus should be on eliminating the filibuster? I think the focus should be on protecting our democracy. We know that January 6th was the opening salvo in an attempt to roll us back to Jim Crow era. We are watching seven times the number of bills permeating across state legislatures than occurred in 2020 during election year. And we know that the U.S. Senate, much like the U.S. House, has the sole responsibility under the elections clause of the U.S. Constitution to regulate the time, place, and manner of elections. That is something that we have to accomplish. It would be best if it was done in concert with Republicans, as we have in times past, mm -hmm. when we had to confront our demons and do better by our people. And my deep hope is that we can get it done. But I would say that an exemption to the filibuster for the purposes of protecting our democracy is not only logical, it is fundamental to who we are. That was Stacey uh, Abrams, voting rights activist. 
Our guest in the first half hour is Craig Holman, government affairs lobbyist for Public Citizen. He joins us to discuss the For the People Act, which just passed the U.S. House of Representatives and is pending in the U.S. Senate. Welcome back to Deadline D.C., Craig. Thanks for joining us. Delighted to be here, Brad. Now, uh, I, we uh, brought you on to talk about the For the People Act, which just passed the House of Representatives. Uh, to get us started, there's a lot in there. Uh, there seem to me uh, at least two major sections of the bill, uh, one on uh, government reform and another one on uh, voting rights, which Stacey Abrams just discussed. Uh, why don't you uh, give us a highlight on the important features of the uh, bill that just passed the House? Sure. For the People Act, also known as H.R. 1 in the House and S. 1 in the Senate, which is going to be introduced in the Senate on Wednesday, this Wednesday, is the overhaul to corrupt politics that we have all been waiting for. Uh, basically, it is almost 800 pages in length, and it has, I would say, three major pillars. One deals with voting rights, the other deals with campaign finance reform, and a third one with governmental ethics. Now, the reason why this bill is so long and so sweeping is lawmakers sat down with reformers in drafting this legislation, and we took a look at everything that's gone wrong in the last four years when it comes to our, our democratic form of government, and we try addressing all those wrongs. Uh, you know, during the whole Trump era, there was a lot that wasn't working well. So, uh, you know, H.R. 1, S. 1 would make it easier to vote. It would get, uh, it would impose redistricting reform. Districts would be drawn by uh, nonpartisan independent commissions. It would restore the Voting Rights Act. It would set up automatic voter registration. That's just the voting block part of it. Then we've got campaign finance reform, where it sets up a system, a proven system of small donor public financing for both congressional and presidential elections. It, it essentially taking all the big money out of the campaigns and uh, fortifying, uh, fortifying small donations. So like a small donation of $200 or less would be matched six to one by public funds. That means my small donation, suddenly I become a big player uh, with a six to one match on it. It would also clean up super PACs, uh, prohibit super PACs from being coordinated with candidates and parties. And just as importantly, the third pillar is it imposed all kinds of ethics rules that Trump uh, just spat upon. It would make the conflict of interest code applicable to the president and the vice president, as well as the White House. It would set up an enforcement mechanism. The Office of Government Ethics at this point is in charge with imposing ethics rules on the executive branch, but it only has advisory capacity. So when Trump ignored all these ethics rules, OGE couldn't do anything about it. We would turn OGE into an actual ethics cop with this bill. We're right on the cusp of getting this sweeping reform legislation through. So it's it's a pretty exciting time to be here in DC. Okay. Now, Craig, I know that you've been working on campaign finance reform for a long time. 
uh, and that you were in, instrumental in helping form the uh, campaign finance reform uh, provisions of this bill. Tell us what, you know, th this has been, always been my feeling. Uh, we've got a lot of problems facing the United States. We have the pandemic. Uh, we have economic problems, uh, uh, climate change is just lurking around the corner. And I've always felt that in order to give us the capability of dealing with the serious problems facing uh, the United States, we're going to have to clean up money in politics because it's been always been my feeling that if we can't do that, nothing else good is going to happen. Well, why don't you explain the, the importance of campaign finance reform? Sure. The campaign finance element, by the way, is is really the beginning of HR1 and S1, put together by Paul Sarbanes from, from Maryland and with the help of a bunch of us reformers in drafting it. Uh, as I noted already, it sets up the small donor public financing system, which is similar to what we've seen work in New York City, where small private contributions get matched six to one with public funds. That means candidates will now no longer focus on trying to pull in those large donations because they don't get matched, but instead will turn their attention to us average folks who can make small contributions because our small contribution with a six to one match actually becomes a big contribution at that point. It also gets rid of dark money. Uh, we would uh, establish the Disclose Act, which would mandate full disclosure, even by nonprofit groups, of any electioneering expenses and where they got their money from. And it would help uh, alleviate the foreign intervention in our elections that we uh, saw both in 2016 and 2020. Uh, it would require that large social media platforms have to set up a disclosure system so we can identify who is behind certain ads on the internet. It's, it's a sweeping comprehensive legislation. Okay, uh, we are going to uh, go to break in about a minute. Uh, for uh, we the break will be for our uh, radio listeners. We're going to stay with Craig Holman on our uh, with our TV uh, list oh, viewers, uh, but don't go anywhere. Uh, and when we come back, we will have more of Craig Holman, who is government affairs lobbyist uh, for Public Citizen. Uh, we've been discussing the campaign finance reform mechanisms in the We the People Act, which just passed the House of Representatives. When we get back from the break, we are going to discuss the voting rights aspects of the We the People Act, also known as H.R. 1. And we will also talk about pending Senate action in the Senate. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in uh, very shortly with Craig Holman from Public Citizen, who is just going to who is joining us to discuss, discuss the groundbreaking We the People Act. We'll be back right after these messages. So don't go anywhere. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Welcome back to Deadline TV. 
Our guest in this half hour is Craig Holman, government affairs lobbyist for Public Citizen. Uh, Craig and Public Citizen have been instrumental in the passage by the United States House of Representatives of the For the People Act, which has major reforms in campaign finance and also uh, in voting rights. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Craig, it's probably a stupid question, but I'm famous for asking stupid questions on the show. Uh, the main purpose, one of the main purposes of the For the People Act is to make voting easier. Who could be against making voting easier? It seems to me if you look at American political history, there's always been movements to make it easier for people to vote, make it easier for more people to vote. But, you know, despite the fact that, you know, this would be one of those, you know, great issues where you can't believe anybody would be opposed to it uh, in the House, um, you didn't get one single Republican to vote for the uh, People Act. In fact, I heard one Republican, and I don't remember a House member, I think it was, who said something to the effect, if this bill becomes law, no one will ever vote for, Repu for a Republican again. Why is there so much opposition to this, uh, to the legislation among Republicans? Well, very sadly, it has become a partisan issue at this point. And the reason being, uh, just in the last election, 2020 elections, we saw a record turnout of, uh, of Americans going to the polls. And much of that turnout came from largely working class or middle class Americans uh, who tended to support Democrats or at least over, over Donald Trump, uh, which is why the Democrats were able to take back the Senate, hang on to the House and take the White House. And so the plan by Republicans is to try to not let those people vote again. Uh, they're hoping to shut down access to the polls, uh, voter registration for working class Americans, middle class Americans, with the hope that those who will vote will then just be Republicans. They'll be more the upper class, uh, you know, American citizens. So it's become partisan. The Republicans have correctly identified that if most of America goes out to vote, uh, the Democrats are going to fare better. And so it's become a partisan issue. Uh, which brings us to the U.S. Senate. Uh, the uh, Now, if, you're going to have to correct me if my memory is faulty. I remember we had you on the show about two years ago uh, talking about the passage of H.R. Uh, 1 uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. And if memory serves me, and if I'm wrong about this, please correct me, you never even got a vote in the Senate on it. Uh, no, that, now, that's correct. Uh, McConnell did not allow a vote on the bill. And now now you have a one essentially a one vote uh, Democratic majority in the Senate, uh, but it's not nearly there are not nearly as many Democrats in the Senate as necessary to break. Uh, I would guess what would be a Republican filibuster. First, let's ha ask me a simple question. Are you going to get a vote on the bill this time? Yes, 
Yes, we are. And the Democrats are going to break that filibuster. We don't need 60 votes to bring an end to the filibuster. We can actually change the filibuster rules. There are many different ways. Uh, a simple majority vote can change the filibuster. Uh, it, it could be going back to the old system of filibustering where people had to stand and keep talking uh, to uh, keep a filibuster going, or it could be an end to the filibuster itself, or it could be carve-outs of this H.R. 1 uh, uh, from filibuster rules. So there, there are many ways in which, uh, in which the filibuster can be changed, and I am fully expecting the Democrats to do that in the Senate. Okay. Uh, now, I guess that, that the next question in my mind is every Democrat uh, open to, you know, changing the filibuster rules so this thing goes to the Senate floor? There are two Democrats that are, uh, have hesitations, and that's Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. Uh, th both of those have expressed doubts about changing the filibuster, but you know the the Democratic caucus is is negotiating with them to see what kind of changes in the filibuster rules they would find acceptable. It's being made very very clear to Cinema and Mansion that if this bill dies because of the filibuster, uh, the entire Democratic agenda, the entire Biden agenda, will suffer the same fate. So we have to change the filibuster rule, and I am confident Mansion and Cinema will come around to see that in the next week or two. Well, that would be uh, great news if they do. Well, let me ask you this question: uh, Are there any Republicans in the Senate who are open, opening, open to pat, you know, supporting HR one in the Senate? Well, so far we don't see any. Now, I don't want to say there aren't any. Uh, McConnell tends to uh, have a very strong whip over the Republican caucus. And if it becomes clear that the filibuster won't prevent this legislation from happening, then I would like, very much like to see some Republicans uh, defect from the McConnell camp and support these needed reforms. Uh, I don't know if any are going to. But it sure would be welcome. Now, what objections do Republicans have to making it easier for people to vote? I would think that in a democracy, there must there, you know, they what reasons beyond blind political self-interest uh, do they have for opposing this thing? And is there a political price to be paid if you're you know, I'd like to think in a democracy there's a political price to be paid for making it more difficult for people to vote. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But what is there a political price that Republicans have to pay for not supporting this kind of, you know, classic and I mean, small D Democratic legislation? Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the Republicans in trying to make it harder to vote are are lining up behind that falsehood that Donald Trump uh, preached during his whole four years in office, and that is voter fraud. You know, uh, they keep arguing this is widespread voter fraud. Uh, election fraud going on, which just is not 
true. And we know it's not true by by the evidence that we have in front of us. Yet they just keep on claiming voter fraud, voter fraud, even though they can't find any anywhere. Uh, so that's that's their argument. But it is a false argument. The real argument is they want to prevent those people who would tend to vote Democratic from coming out to the polls. Craig, I want to thank you for joining us on Deadline DC today. Uh, I wish you great luck in the Senate because I think this uh, bill is incredibly important to the future of American democracy. So I wish you the best of luck. Uh, Our guest in this half hour was Craig Holman, government affairs lobbyist for public interest. Uh, We'll be back after these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. So don't go anywhere. Take care, Brad. Thank you very much, Craig. And good luck. Thanks. Welcome back to Deadline DC. Half hour where we do our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, but before that, uh, I have a few words on the American Rescue Act. The verb that described Barack Obama's presidency was hope, and the slogan for Donald Trump's tenure was hate. The word that describes Biden's, Joe Biden's time in office is heal. The 46th president is betting the American Rescue Act will heal both the wounds inflicted by the COVID-19 pandemic and the scars left over from the ailing economy. Help is on the way to distressed Americans. The new law includes $1,400 checks to low and middle income Americans, extended unemployment benefits, uh, and tax credits to parents of young children. Seven out of every 10 Americans in a new national survey by the Pew Research Center favor the new law. There is more support for this law than there was for Donald Trump's first uh, major legislative effort, his disastrous tax cut. While the benefit of Trump's initiative went primarily to big business and wealthy Americans, the Biden rescue package provides uh, for cash payments for low and in middle income Americans. The new law is a significant step in reversing the tide of trickle down economics popularized by Ronald Reagan that left poor and middle-income Americans high and dry, but launched thousands of yachts for wealthy Americans. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Edwith Theogene, who is the Director of Advocacy, there she is, uh, for Generation Progress, the youth engagement arm of American Progress. In this role, Theogene works to develop and lead efforts that translate the experiences of young adults into concrete actions that advance progressive policies and increase voter turnout. Her Twitter handle is whoisedwith, W-H-O-I-S-E-D-W-I-T-H. Joining Edwith on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. That's Mark, 
J. Grimaldi, G-R-I-M-I-L-D-I. Uh, before we go to the panel, we have a clip on the American Rescue Act uh, from uh, Joe Biden. U.S. President Joe Biden took a victory lap on Friday, a day after signing the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan into law, with economic stimulus payments hitting Americans' bank accounts imminently. I promised the American people, and I guess it's becoming an overused phrase, that help was on the way. But today, with the American Rescue Plan now signed into law, we've delivered on that promise. Biden's celebratory remarks from the Rose Garden at the White House came the same day the Centers for Disease Control said the U.S. administered over 100 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines. At the start of his presidency, Biden set a goal to get 100 million vaccine shots into the arms of American adults within his first 100 days in office, a goal surpassed in roughly half the time. And more help may be on the way soon, with AstraZeneca looking to apply for emergency use authorization for its vaccine in the U.S. later this month or early April. There is light at the end of this dark tunnel in the past year. Biden announced on Wednesday that the U.S. will buy 100 million additional Johnson & Johnson vaccine doses and pledged to share any remaining surplus with the rest of the world after all American adults are vaccinated. We're not going to be ultimately safe until the world is safe. Okay, uh, that clip was about uh, from Joe Biden talking about the uh, his fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which includes his uh, American Rescue Act, uh, which passed both the House and the Senate last week. Uh, this week, uh, both the president and Vice President Harris are on the road across the United States selling uh, the virtues of the new uh, law. Uh, Meanwhile, in a sense of the different priorities of the two parties, uh, several Republican House members are on the Mexican border today uh, beating up on immigrants. Uh, So, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because I think what's happening this week does reflect uh, the different priorities of the parties. And uh, fortunately, uh, Democratic priorities prevailed in the election last year uh, because I don't think the Republicans have anything much to offer except beating up on immigrants uh, and also complaining about Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head. Um, but anyway, whatever. Uh Let's start with uh, let's start with Edwith. Uh, Edwith, uh, if you were uh, on the road today uh, selling the virtues of the American Rescue Plan, uh, what would you highlight? Well, um, since we are talking about Republicans and Democrats, I also want to add that I represent Generation Progress Action, <laughs> or C4. Um, so just plugging that in as well. Um, I think something that was pretty interesting, AOC actually brought this to light for me. She was talking about the American Rescue Plan on Instagram, which I think is really great way to reach people and share information. But she talked about an Easter egg that's included in there, which is the American Rescue Plan allows them not to tax people on debt that has been canceled. And I say that's an Easter egg because something that's really important to young people is student debt cancellation. And as we talk about economic recovery, I feel like that's something that we need to tackle. Um, 
I know there's a bunch of different solutions for that. So that's one of the things that I would, if I was on the road, on the the van, the bus, the social distance platform, I would really try to up that um, as something to celebrate. Because I don't think that's talked about enough, maybe because we still haven't received like resolution around what our plan of attack is for student debt. But I think that's something that's important since there's like a trillion dollars of student debt that impacts a lot of young people. I think it's like one in four young people um, have some sort of student debt. Okay. Uh, Mark, uh, what would you say about uh, the virtues of the American Rescue Act? This is the biggest domestic um, plan that's been passed uh, in generations. And, you know, let's not forget why, first of all, why did this have to happen? Well, how did we get here? It was that the COVID-19 pandemic was mishandled by former President Donald Trump. And, you know, there's a lot of these stories. I know everyone's probably reading them in their feed about where were we a year ago? What happened? And, you know, the first thing I think about is I take a step back and think that we've lost five over 500,000 American lives because this was mishandled. And it could have been so different. I mean, you have examples of, of countless other countries around the world who handled this better. And the reason, you know, if Republicans want to bark about the deficit, I think that goes out the window because, first of all, it was their, you know, God that created this problem, or not created this problem, but um, mismanaged his way into this problem that needed to be rectified. And then I think you get to a point where, um, you know, how do you tackle this problem? Well, the last time we had a crisis of this magnitude, President Obama was coming in after a Republican administration, the Bush administration, just an economic crisis, not a health crisis, but he was pushed by Republicans to shrink the size of his stimulus and eventually did work with, with recovery, but it took longer than they had hoped for. Um, I would talk about being bold and going big and the fact that no Republicans wanted to sign on to a plan that is popular and approved by 75% of Americans. Look at any other policy proposal and try to get 75% of Americans to agree today and I don't, I don't know if you can. You could have rainbow and sunshine. No, probably not. And you might have 71%. Um, the other thing I would talk about is who does this help? Well, it helps uh, poor Americans, um, those of lower socioeconomic status, and middle-class Americans. And let's contrast that with the $1.7 trillion Trump tax scan plan, which went to the, the top 05 percent of um, Americans. You know, the last statistic I'll say here, Brad, is that um, Americans who under the Trump plan who made $25,000 or less got a $60 tax credit from his plan. And the 0.5 percent uh, top percent of Americans, which was defined as 3.4 million or more a year, they got a credit of almost $200,000. That was their priorities. Then you talk about the priorities and the financial priorities of this bill, and you see who wants to help who and why. Can okay. I add to? I think don't kill me, Edwith, that... but we have like 30 <laughs> seconds to break, so I don't want you to get cut off. So let's. Okay, let's bring back. Uh, we'll go it. right yeah. back to Edwith when we get back from this break. Thank you. Okay, this <laughs> no is problem. The Progressive Political Panel on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. We'll be back with more 
right after these messages. The panel today is uh, Edwith Theogene, who is the Advocacy Director of Generation Progress, and our own progressive activist, Mark Vermaldi. Don't go anywhere. We're taking a quick break, and we will be right back after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. And this is the half hour for the provocative uh, progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today are Edwith Theogene, who is the Advocacy Director of Generation Progress, and progressive political activist uh, Mark Romaldi. Uh, we uh, we uh, were going to, we in the first segment of this, we talked about the passage of the new law, the American Rescue Act. Uh, now we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the future. Uh, one of the unfortunate, many unfortunate uh, ramifications of the COVID uh, pandemic, and we're basically a year into it now, uh, and hopefully we'll emerge from it soon now that the Biden administration is taking aggressive action to deal with it instead of denying its existence, uh, which itself is a great blessing in my opinion. Uh, Some issues got obscured. Uh, we've been focused on the pandemic uh, in the last year. We've been focused on the economy uh, for good reason. Uh, but some issues, uh, unfortunately, uh, were swept aside in, the, in, you know, in a very you know, unique focus on the pandemic and the economy. And I'd like to talk about them now. Uh, the first thing would be uh, climate change. Uh, now that uh, President Biden has got his American Rescue Act, uh, which will hopefully lead to uh, recovery from the pandemic uh, and uh, a reboot of the economy, uh, his next uh, major business uh, will be uh, a, another essentially an economic infrastructure bill. Now, I think is interesting about the next effort, which would also cost about uh, $2 billion, uh, $2 trillion, excuse me, on top of the $1.9 trillion we've just spent, uh, is I believe the Biden administration is going to pitch it as changing the infrastructure of this country uh, so that we develop more clean energy resources. And I think it's really going to be a hyphenated uh, economic uh, and climate change bill, although the Biden administration may be reluctant to call it that. I think that's what it's going to be. I think it's going to be a major focus. Now, today there's a story in the Washington Post that uh, uh, as part of funding the new infrastructure climate change bill, uh, the president is going to ask for new taxes, uh, which will essentially reverse much of the uh, tax changes in the Trump administration, reverse the changes and the benefits that went to big corporations and wealthy Americans. Uh, there's going to be, according to the Post at least, we're going, the president is going to increase the capital uh, gains tax, 
uh, include uh, increase the corporate tax and bring it from now very low 21% back up to 28%. Uh, so it's definitely going to uh, hurt the people who were helped uh, by the Trump administration tax changes. Now, the problem here is that uh, they, they will have, this bill will have to survive a filibuster. Uh, now they passed the American Rescue Plan with 51 votes, but they can't do that uh, with this bill. Uh, so that means getting Republican support, uh, breaking an infrastructure, uh, breaking uh, the uh, uh, filibuster. Uh, Ed, with let me ask you this: uh, Why is this second round of economic stimulus so badly needed? I mean, it's so important. I feel like the American Rescue Plan is just a start. And like we talked about earlier, people are in need and they need a lot of support. It's exciting to hear also that the Biden administration is making some action on climate. During the past four years, it was awful, right? The administration, the rollbacks of so many reforms and laws and uh, good policy. So in the first 100 days, I think the Biden administration has taken a lot of uh, urgent action in terms of getting us even back to where we were before the Trump administration. Administration. So I'm looking forward to us moving forward even further past that. So action on climate is very important to like young people. And I think all of us can feel the sense of urgency. We saw what happened with the snow in uh, Texas. And we also saw um, the wildfires that happened like last summer and the idea of economic recovery that centers good jobs, clean jobs, that centers environmental justice. And even with that, I think thinking about our immigrant communities, I think there's 11 million undocumented people within this country. And there's a there's two sayings that cap that come to mind right now. One of them is, um, oh my gosh, it's like jobs, justice, and climate. That's one. So we have to think about those all together. Okay. And then another saying at CAP2 that I think is really awesome is that we're talking about building back better. We're talking about fixing our country. We cannot do that without also figuring out how we can create pathways to citizenship for the immigrant community. Right. We cannot do that without leaving with leaving out this very important community. So as we think about what this third package could look like, I think it would be great to see there be even stronger stance on climate action, even stronger stance on immigrants. And like, it's just so important, you know, I wanna see like big investments um, where our government, our, you know, public, our democracy really stands for our values and what the American people need. Okay, uh, Mark, uh what you know it's it, this is my impression and if you agree with me feel free or disagree disagree fight it out okay. i'm kidding <laughs> go ahead uh, uh, i think joe biden won the democratic nomination uh, he was not the favorite of progressives in the party. Bernie Sanders was. Uh, for most progressives, uh, Elizabeth Warren, for some others. Uh, but it seems to me that Joe Biden has done two things uh, that are very important to progressives and important to the nation. Uh, one was, and I, we talked about it with the American Rescue Plan, I think he's trying to take significant steps 
to change tax and fiscal uh, policy in this country to benefit low and middle income Americans as opposed to just helping uh, the wealthy and big corporations. I also think he's made an honest effort and will continue to uh, to address uh, to address climate change. Uh, If you look at the way he's uh, he's put together his administration, he's put climate advocates into every department of the federal government, uh, not just EPA, uh, but he's got people, you know, calling for climate change as part of their job in individual agencies and departments. Uh, Mark, uh, you were a Bernie Sanders supporter back in 2016. Uh, How do you feel about uh, Joe Biden's uh, efforts uh, to try to, you know, move progressive policy? Go ahead. I think so. Documenting kind of my own path, I think that this is how you bring the party together in a way, because I know, Brad, you and I have talked about it. I was always, you know, I understood it was for the greater good. So, you know, I I volunteered for Bernie Sanders. Then I volunteered for Secretary Clinton. Once she won, this time I volunteered for Elizabeth Warren. Then she was out. And then, you know, Joe Biden. But I think all of them have the best interests of the country at heart, which is a big difference from Donald Trump and the Republicans. Um, And I think that comes, you know, just front and center when it comes to climate, because, you know, Brad, one thing you talked about was that all these agencies are involving climate change in their priorities, not just in the EPA. Well, all those agencies are going to have to involve climate change. It's either are we going to try to do it in a preventative way or in a reactive way, because you see how it's permeating all these different areas of our lives that we never thought, Brad. Look at what happened in Texas. If we if they don't act, that's going to happen where it's going to affect all these different areas of our lives with things like water shortages um, if we don't act now. So we act now just the same way you think of preventative health care versus, you know, uh, reactive health care. We need to address the problem big and bold now. And I agree with you, Brad, that President Biden is stepping up in a way that, you know, you, you read about his administration is trying to do it in a manner almost like FDR did. And I think with with that in mind, you're seeing that sort of reflection in the policies he's proposing. And I'm very happy with uh, with how he's done so far. Okay. Uh, a last word, uh, Edwith. We have a few. Uh, we have uh, about 15, 20 seconds left. Uh, one last word. I think something that's impressive about the Biden administration is that they try to have this intersectional approach to a lot of things. So the fact that they are not separating the the response to the economy from uh, climate. And to your point, your uh, one of you made the point that we have hired so many. They have hired so many people who have like strong climate backgrounds. I think a lot of them are champions on a variety of different issues as well. So that's something really important to, to have Edwith all the agencies has the last word today on Deadline DC. I want to thank our guest, Craig Holman of Public Citizen, Edward Theogene from Generation Progress, and our own Mark Romaldi. I'll be back next Monday, same bat time, same bat channel. Leslie Matt Marshall will be back tomorrow. Be safe and be strong. I'll see you next Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. 
All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroBytesMobile.com. Cousin Sal here letting you know that nobody does sports like FanDuel Sportsbook. All new users get a $1,000 risk-free bet when you sign up and make your first deposit. Just place your first bet and get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. Sign up today. FanDuel.com slash Sal. 21 plus and present in Michigan. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help.